Hey, hey, good morning. Good it morning, good morning. morning. Morning on the West Coast. I'm with Blaine Bartlett, the mindset mastermind guru, moving possibilities to profit. Learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash LMM. And, you know, I woke up this morning and looking at my notes, looking at Dan Dembski, our friend here, co-founder of Unbound Merino. And uh, I just got back from my new office at the stadium, picked up my son from, uh, from, uh, Football practice late last night. I don't know why they have 11-year-olds practicing till 9 at night. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to go pack for a three-city trip. And I don't like, you know, there's all different weathers and uh, outfits. I have a keynote with Mike Tyson. And I'm like, how the heck am I going to get all the things that I need? And then here I have the man, the myth, Unbound Marino saying, how come I don't have the Unbound Marino clothing uh products, sweatpants, hoodies, et cetera, for my trip here. Dan, where have you been all my life? You got about 400, 400 days of travel between Blaine and I a year. And probably during COVID is about 200. So, uh, you know, I'm Pretty sure you, you probably were stimulated by the same problem, the single bag problem that I have. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's. I think a lot of good business ideas come from just being frustrated with your own life experiences. <laughs> yes. So really, I mean, this 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 business. I was already I already had another business, but I was looking to start an e-commerce brand because I just liked the idea of having an e-commerce business for the way that it could scale. And I was for years trying to come up with ideas, and I came up with a million bad ideas, maybe some good ones, but never never pulled through on any. But I was really frustrated with packing and traveling with for my travels. Um, and I was just looking for a brand like Unbound Merino. I love the material of Merino wool and how it could help you travel light and pack light and all that stuff. But all of the brands were making active wear and outdoors wear. And I'm just like, no one is making nice, versatile, simple clothing that you could travel with using this incredible fabric. And I was just like, I have to do this. It was I was at a stage of my life where it made no sense to do it. But I'm like, if I don't do this, I might regret it for the rest of my life. I, I, I just felt like I saw the, the gap. So we did it and hope that it went well. And, you know, now we're selling in over 100 countries and it's going really well. Yeah, that's uh, the, and I've worn some of your stuff. It, it truly is amazing. And <clears throat> the, the functionality is, is uh, fascinating to me because it, it's, you know, I say functionality in terms of versatility. I can wear it in a lot of different you know, uh, settings. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting in that regard. Um, cause I've got, you know, hell, I, I think I've got about five and a half million air miles. I mean, I've, yeah, it's just, it's ludicrous how much I've traveled and to be able to put it all in one bag, take it out, put it on and go right into a meeting is just, I mean, and, and, and actually look presentable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and still have it's really same, cool. And still have the same few pieces. You go for a hike, you go for a cocktail, you go for breakfast, just, just having a few pieces that can sort of function in any of those settings that's sort of the goal and once you start yeah. traveling with one bag it's you can look at the luggage carousel and think it's insane like I, yeah there's not a chance in the world i don't care where i'm going i don't care how much packing i need to do how long i i'll never see that luggage carousel again other than zipping right by it it's funny you say that dan because you know blaine and i travel to africa we travel all over the world and you know people ask me for my travel tips i've you know, been asked to write articles in, you know, some big business uh, trades about travel tips. And I always start off with the three best travel trips I have is don't check luggage, don't check luggage, don't <laughs> check luggage, yeah. uh, because nothing good happens when you chuck your luggage. Uh, nothing good happens. No. It, it, I, I would rather use FedEx uh, than, than pack a, a bag somewhere and just spend the extra money to guarantee. And I know Blaine, when they traveled last time to Africa. They didn't get their bags till they were going home. Um, no, I, I didn't know. I got it. I got it about a month after I got home. Oh, <laughs> um, and so uh, you know, I think the versatility is a big thing. I'm curious, you know, what's the distinctive differences of merino wool that allows you to have that stylish, you know, and active uh, utility within the context of, of the of the apparel. So there's nothing about merino wool that makes it inherently more stylish. It, it, what, what's good about the material, so it's completely natural. There's no chemical process or anything, but 
you know, the Merino sheep have to deal with these extremities and temperature, you know, from like insane humidity to frigid nights. So naturally their wool caters to that. So it has a coating on it called lanolin, which allows it to wick moisture away, allows it to regulate temperature and the lanolin. And because it has a coating on it, a natural coating, it will never absorb the moisture. It will never grow bacteria and it will never smell. So it's antibacterial, it's odor resistant. So if I wore the same t-shirt multiple times and I couldn't take it to the laundry, it's fine. It's just as clean and fresh as the first day. And that's the whole thing behind why it's so good to travel with. It's like, you can wash it as much as you want, but if you can't, you're fine. You can pack less stuff. You don't have to wash your stuff every single time. The problem that I found was if this material is so incredibly amazing in terms of its performance, why are there in companies not making just a, a well-fitting button-down shirt? Or Yeah, like the opportunity was there. I mean, it's an expensive thing to make. It's an expensive thing to buy, but it it has the value inherently in it because you don't need to have 12 T-shirts. One Marina World T-shirt can replace 12. So even though it's a little bit expensive, it has its value. But I'm just thinking in my head, you know, going back five years, I'm like, I want this for me so bad. And I did find merino wool stuff, but it was all skin tight base layers. So it was the kind of very good stuff, but it's the kind of stuff you go skiing with. You know, you put a jacket on over it and it's sort of a second skin. It made zero sense to me. Why is why can't I go buy it? Like this is a, a t-shirt, a regular t-shirt. Why can't I find a t-shirt like this out of that, out of that wool? So, you know, sometimes you come across these ideas and it's just shocking. Like there's billions of people in the world. There are millions of entrepreneurs like am i the only person thinking of this right <laughs> well you know you, i gotta interrupt blame for yeah. two seconds because it's you know interesting i'm friends with the uh, gary vaynerchuk and he probably wears a black t-shirt you know 350 of the 365 days a year and you can imagine i was you know working with them saying hey we should do an h&m clothing deal where you just you know donate the shirt because a lot of t-shirts you buy you can wear them once it, it not just because you have to wash them, whatever, but because after you wash them, they're unpresentable and they're wrinkly and they're, or if you travel with a brand new one, the wrinkles are almost impossible to get out. Uh, and so, you know, for someone like Einstein or Gary Vaynerchuk, both who wear the same clothes every day, uh, him, a black t-shirt, you know, what a per perfect thing to wear because it's wrinkle resistance. You don't have to wash it. Uh, and you know, when you look at the value of that comparatively to the throwaway clothes that most people buy, especially for t-shirts and hoodies and other things, you know, it's an incredible, uh, value and, and it's also the travel component. Yeah. And then on top of that, you know, when you look at fast fashion, you know, throwaway t-shirts, if you're buying a t-shirt that you need to throw away after a few wears, cause it's made poorly and it gets beaten up in the wash, there's a huge environmental impact to that too. They, I mean, fast fashion is one of the most disastrous things to the environment. So it's just like, it's just more, it's just on every level, just smarter to have less things, things that perform for you and serve you more. Um, but yeah, that's where, that's where you really beat up your clothing in the laundry. So the less you can do of it, the the more you're going to sort of have that, that it brand new feel to it. Yeah. And when you're throwing things away, yeah, where, where's away? Where does it go? Uh, yeah, the fashion industry is the second greatest polluting industry in the world. I mean, which yeah. is just a, a crazy stat to get your head that's around. That's in terms of the amount of waste. That's in terms of exactly. the production of it as well. I mean, when you're All of that. making stuff with synthetics, it's plastic. Yeah. So you know, flipping to a natural fiber, it's like it serves you, it serves the planet. It's It's just a smarter way. Now, your, your background isn't in design, you know, and I, and I men, mentioned this in the context of, yeah, clothing design. I've, I've worked uh, in a lot of, yeah, as a consultant to a lot of different fashion brands mm -hmm. and um, the, you know, getting the, you know, getting that next look into the rack or onto the rack, into the store, yeah, that sort of thing, yeah, occupied such an incredible amount of bandwidth in, in terms of the management team's uh, focus. Where have you gone and how have you actually addressed this yeah, design issue so that you know, your, 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 uh, you know, your brand actually has the cachet that in that space actually contributes to your, your marketing? 
Well, it's a good question. I, I, you know, going into this, I had no business getting into the, the clothing business. You know, that's insane. If you told me 10 years ago, I was going to have a, a, a clothing brand, I'd think you're crazy. Uh, and we learned a lot of things along the way about how you're actually supposed to make clothing, but we didn't know, you know, we had no idea when we started this, this brand, we wanted to find a t-shirt that had a, a good, you know, a good fit for our customer, which we were trying to figure out who that customer was. And the way we did this is my business partners and I, was my two best buddies, we went to every big box clothing store we could think of, you know, the Gap and the Zara and the H&M. And we just tried on a bunch of shirts and we looked at each other and said, you know, the neck, the neck on this one, that looks, I like the neck, but you know, the sleeves are too long. But the sleeves on this one we like, we just bought all of the shirts we like. We took little post-it notes. We wrote the neck. This is literally how we designed our first prototypes. We wrote the neck on this one is good. The sleeves on this one are good. And we sewed the post-it note onto the shirt. And then we mailed it off to a manufacturer. And we had them Frankenstein together our first prototype, which didn't fit right. So we tried it on and then we wrote back notes said, no, the sleeves are still too long. You have to bring them in until we had our first prototype. So that's complete backwards way of getting to the end result. But if we would have really looked into all the complexity of what it takes to start a clothing brand, we might not have done it because we would have been yeah. scared away. I think how naive we were was a huge advantage. And this is what people tell me all the time because now I know people in the clothing business. They're like, they're like, you're in one of the, how'd you claw your way into this business? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe because I didn't know any better. You know, we just thought we had the nerve to think that we could do it. And I think sometimes that's an advantage and that's what we did. So since then we figured out the industry standard ways where you're actually supposed to produce clothing, the, the information and how you're supposed to present it to manufacturers so that they do your patterns in the right way. Do they do your cutting in the right way? But we just did it with post-it notes and mailing other t-shirts at first and it worked. Yeah. You know, what's so funny is, you know, both Blaine and I, mentor with bob proctor and one of the things that and especially when i was younger that i loved was he says don't worry about the how you know and and you know i never thought about it in the context of one of the restraining or resistance that are created by thinking about the how uh and i always tell people this if you reverse engineer where you are today and you're someone who maybe have had great success if somebody would have told you what it took to get to that great success most people won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and for, uh, the, the other challenge, real quick, for a last question, you had mentioned manufacturing. And obviously, the challenge in, in finding the right manufacturer with quality control, guaranteed deliveries, especially here now in the last 18 months or 20 months uh, with COVID and the challenges that you face. Uh, what advice do you give to entrepreneurs that are looking at getting into a business where they need manufacturing? that have no idea, you know, they're like you looking for some e-commerce deal, some drop ship real quick business and end up finding, oh shoot, I got to manufacture this stuff myself. What are some tips that you give them on finding a good manufacturer? Well, I think you need to address every single question that you have. Like, can you meet their minimum order quantities and what's the cost of doing it? Uh, I think the most important thing at the end of the day is you have to be able to go to the factory yourself build a real relationship and feel like you can trust who you're working with. That was paramount to me. We do, we do a lot of, we do some stuff locally in Canada. We do a lot of stuff overseas uh, language barrier. Is that going to be an issue? Can I get on the phone with that? Like you, there's a, you just got to think through everything and, and just sort of comb through it all. But at the end of the day, I think there's a gut feel and you have to trust your gut feel. What the first manufacturers we worked with, we felt right at the beginning, I, I really like these people. We love the samples they're making. They're really keen to work with us. We can afford to work with them. All the things mattered. We went to visit their factory. We felt good about it. And we're still working with them today. They're one, we have more now, but the, you know, there are people we dropped off along the way. I think at the end of the day, you just have to really, really, that's the most important partnership. The most yeah. important one in, in, in an e-commerce business is the manufacturing. So that's one you have to feel really good about. But like anything, a little bit of a dating process. And then you have to rely on, is this working? Is it, do you feel good about this? Are they there for you the way that we're there for us? And you can grow together. So, Well, you've, yeah. you've done an, office, it, an awesome job. Uh, 
uh, reverse engineering uh, the apparel and the business, uh, which I love your approach to connecting the dots backwards from the experience that you had, the skills and knowledge and desire that you had so that guys like Blaine and I can only pack one bag, which is a huge, <laughs> huge value in our lives. So I will be emailing you. You got D Dan Dembski, co-founder of Unbound Merino, unboundmerino.com. Dan, come join us again. Thank you so much for saving the road warriors uh, out there. We appreciate yeah. you. Greatly. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's so cool to be here. Right on. Thanks. Good to have you, Dan. Take care. Take care. Have a good rate. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, now we got, we got some real wisdom coming. Uh, this is a, a favorite of mine. This is my 14-year-old unbelievable entrepreneur. Uh, he is one of the most persistent young men. If I could put uh, a, a milestone for my kids to say, look, you want things to happen, you got to institute the law of Goya. And uh, this this guy's uh, behind is never in a seat. You're talking about traveling, you know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're always in a seat. Uh, Vedant Gupta, host of the Global Kid Media, has hosted the biggest names in sports and entertainment, Pat Mahomes, Zion, Magic, Snoop, all, I think, over 1,500 unbelievable stars around the country. And uh, these guys will take off at any time uh, to make sure that they are covering and learning. And now he is currently working on his uh, first book as well. Vedant, it's always a pleasure. Welcome to Office Hours. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here and, uh, and have a great conversation as always. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to start with a quick question. Every parent out there is looking at you and they're like, wow, he's 14 years old. He's has 1,500 interviews under his belt with the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Uh, what is your philosophy about no? Because I know this for a fact. I have one of the biggest shows in the world and people still say no to me. Uh, and, you know, you, I have to deal with no, and I teach people how to deal with no, you know, I could imagine when I was 14, probably getting as many no's to get to 1500 interviews. Uh, that, that's thousands and thousands of no's. How do you deal with thousands and thousands? Of, I thought Jack Canfield got a lot of no's before he wrote Ticket Super in the store. How do you deal with all the no's that you've gotten? I feel like all the no's are a chance to m turn into a yes, right? Uh, no is maybe not right now, but find another way. And I feel like, you know, somebody once said, if the door is closed, open the window, go that way. So that's kind of the way I tend to look at it. And I feel like if the opportunity is really something you're passionate about, going to find a way regardless, um, formal, informal, you know, wh wherever you got to go. And um, that's something I've tried to live by and, and make everything happen. Yeah, I love that. The idea, the idea of, uh, you know, and, and Dave, you and I may have talked about this at one point in time, but the way to yes is always through maybe. So <laughs> you get a no first. And the idea of, you know, okay, door's closed, open the window. Windows doesn't open, build a door. Yeah, but you want to make room for, oh, that's interesting. Maybe this maybe this is something I can actually uh, entertain doing. And then the next thing you know, you've got somebody marching right up to the altar with you. Exactly. Uh, yeah. How did you, what compelled you? I mean, you're 14 and, and you got bit pretty early. And I'm going to yeah, date myself here by you know, using a phrase here, crusader rabbit. Uh <laughs> The idea of I can't not do this. I've just got to go. Yeah, I got to get out there. What what bit you and why did it bite you such that you're doing what you're doing in the way that you're doing it? Yeah, I'd say it was something that was always there from even before I started anything in media, um, probably from the time I could walk and talk and comprehend anything was um, my parents always told me, if you want to see something, if you want something to happen, you got to do it and you can't wait for somebody else to do it. And I think I always wanted to see a kid doing something big time, not waiting until they were an adult, not waiting until, you know, 30, 40 to do what they love, but, you know, maybe going a different route and, and showing other kids that's okay as well. And so as soon as I got that opportunity, I jumped on it. You know, uh, Vedant, one of the things that inspires me, and I know you're on the same crusade as I am to empower others, to empower others, uh, with you, you know, with this ambition to be what you must be and to carry on the desire to be what you must be. Uh, but I think it also relates backwards, you know, to people, you know, of Blaine's generation that uh, sit there, oh, it's 
too late for me to start a brand. You know, it's too late for me to to do these interviews. Um, and here you are, a fourteen year old that does very well in school. You're you're a good child. Your parents think the world of you. You have friends. You know, and yet you just have a little bit of lanyap in you, a little bit of extra uh, that you know has made room in your life for something additional. And you know, your entire life. So if you're seventy years old, like some of my friends are, not to age myself, uh, some of my best friends uh, are, are that old. And anyway, if you're seventy years old and you tell me, well, it's just too late, and I would say, well, guys like Vedant. If he would have started when he was born, look how much he's done by the time he's 14. Now, I know you didn't start doing this when you were born, but even a 70-year-old be 84, which is still younger than my mentor, Bob Proctor. <laughs> and so, you know, you probably started just a few years ago. And, you know, what would be the difference, you know, as a 73 to have the success uh, that Badon says? So I'm going to turn the tables. I know you give so many young people advice. What advice do you give to the parents? Uh, that not only should be encouraging their kids, but encouraging themselves in order to succeed early, meaning where they are today in their life. Yeah, I think that's the more real part of it, right? Parents have seen, been around longer and seen kind of how things have changed over the years. Maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, you couldn't do some of the things that we can do now with technology, with social media. And I think it's important to use those trends and, and use the stuff we have available to help us out. And they've seen how it's progressed over the years. And even somebody who's like, man, I'm too old to do something. If you start, you never know where you'll end up, right? That Mm -hmm. dream that you've always had, you only live once. So here's your, here's your chance to accomplish it. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. You got both ends of the spectrum here. I'm too old. I'm too young. (laughs) And, and those, the voices that, you know, yeah. Uh, articulate those two phrases are not the spirit's voice. They're not the voice of the spirit. They're the voice of, you know, what society has said is the, the way that you're supposed to be running, you know, running your life. And yeah, life moves through me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Life moves through me. And if, if I'm not paying attention to that spirit, if I'm not paying attention to what that, you know, what it's calling for, I end up in a rut and a rut's nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. And that's all a rut is. And that's what a lot of people actually find themselves living is in a rut. I love how you're starting because in my experience and some of the work that I've done with, with you know, executives all over the world, they got in a rut real early in their life. Right. And, and a lot of it had to do with how they were educated and how their parents said you can and you can't. And, you know, yeah, there's, there's a time for everything. You know, there's not really a time for everything. Time is a fungible asset here. If, if spirit is saying move, and get off your ass and go do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever your chronological age. I love this. Yeah, you yeah, must you, run circles you around your folks. You, you can't wait because somebody else will do it or or that chance will be taken away. Yep. Um, and, and I always believe that there's there's time to do an opportunity, but maybe now's a golden moment where it can go somewhere. And maybe later on you'll wish that you did it, you know, back when now was. And yeah. so... Uh, you got to jump on those opportunities. And if you want to do something, you got to be willing to, you know, really, really dive into it to, to achieve your goals. You know, uh, Vedant, the most valuable asset that we have are the lessons that we learn. And life is only about these lessons. And we're never too young to learn lessons and definitely never too old to learn lessons. And that which allows life to come through us. And Genius is only an expression of God, which comes from those lessons. There's a variety of things. And one of the things that become difficult or more challenging for people that are younger is to interview. And and the reason it's so difficult is because uh, I have found most young people that I try to mentor in the process of interviewing uh, are stuck because they don't have lessons. They don't have situational knowledge. They don't have stories in which to collaborate and communicate in an interview. So what you get a lot of times with young people is, tell me about when you went to law school, Dave. Tell me about the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. Tell me about this. Well, if people want to hear an interview about, tell me about, they'll just Google, tell me about Dave Meltzer's blah, 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 uh, and find the answers. They don't need Vedant. What makes your 1,500-star interview so interesting to me is that somehow you've acquired an enormous amount of lessons at such a young age. 
where are you finding those lessons? Because it could not be from life experience uh, being 14, uh, you know, but that's why I encourage my kids to read, listen to podcasts, have conversations, be more interested than interesting. Where are you paying your attention to, to be more interested than interesting? Um, I think I, I acknowledge that I have a lot to learn and I don't know too much as far as life lessons now. And I look forward to learning those things. And I feel like, you know, you got to, oh, if you feel that way now, imagine when you're mind blame age, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll absolutely feel like, you know, nothing. <laughs> well, I think there's always time to learn. Right. But um, I, I think with some of the people I talk to, I always say, I, I'll never look at a quote unquote celebrity status as someone that I got to be starstruck about. Got to be nervous to act the same about. Um, to me, it's just a regular person, and but but they're successful at what they do. So let me take that time to ask a question or, or have a conversation that can help me learn that and, and learn that knowledge and help my viewers learn the same thing. And so I, I think that mindset that you can always learn more no matter what is really important. I used yeah. to tell my grandmother, the more this, the more that you study, the more you know. The more you know, the more you forget. The more you forget. So why study? But that's why my siblings all went to the Ivy Leagues. Uh. <laughs> We're going down that rabbit hole again. Yay! <laughs> uh, yeah, you're working on a book right now. And um, at 14, yeah, we, this whole thing about you know, knowledge and lessons and whatnot. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested. You know, what, are you, what, what are you writing about? And why has that captured your attention because Dave and I both, you know, we've got, you know, I think 15 titles between us or something like that. Right. Um, so in, in writing a book isn't easy. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it that wants to come out that you're putting on paper, so to speak? Yeah. I think the stories behind the scenes, a lot of people say, Oh, wow, you got with this person, you got with this person, you're interviewing this person, but they might not see the story behind the scenes. Um, for example, I was in Milwaukee at the NBA finals for game six and uh, it was a 12 hour day that most people won't see. They might see the interview at the end of the day, but they won't see the rest of the day and, and some of the obstacles along the way. So that's kind of what I want to bring the book to some of those stories that people don't see. And um, it's, it's not always just easy and it's not always um, as it seems. So I kind of want to bring attention to that and show kids that journey is never going to be just, just straight to the straight to the gold, but some of the blocks along the way are the the most fun. Yeah. Well, but Don, you uh, definitely want to talk to our next guest, Dr. Randall Bell, because he's the king of resilience, and uh, he could probably learn a few things about the enjoyment of the consistent, everyday, persistent, without quit pursuit of your potential, whether you're 14, 53, or however old Blaine is. I don't even know. But if you, even if you're as old ageless, as Blaine, ageless. Ageless, he's timeless. I know that. Uh, but resilience is definitely something that has uh, been a key component to your success and everyone no matter what age you are can and have the capability of enjoying that consistent everyday persistent without quit pursuit of their own potential i prefer people to start early like you i hope that i do as good as a job as your father has done and your mother has done with you uh, to my children because whatever they have instilled in you uh, I work very hard uh, to hopefully empower my children with the same things, because no matter what you do, my friend, I promise you great success, happiness, wealth, worthiness uh, in your life. And so continue on, continuing on. I can't wait to read your book. If uh, you need a, a quote, a testimonial, a forward, whatever it is, I know you have 1500 superstars and me, uh, but I'm happy to help. All right. I thank you both so much and always great to talk. You bet, Vidant. Thank you. Vidant Gupta, check him out. He has over 1,500 amazing interviews to listen to, and he's also an extraordinary guest. Global Kid Media. Uh, check him out at globalkidmedia.com. Thanks, Vidant. Thank you. Say hi to your dad for me. Absolutely. <laughs> right on. That's good. Take care. Even though his dad's younger than me, I think. Uh <laughs> You're getting to a point where a lot of people are going to be younger than you. Oh, trust me. When, when I went to uh, Miles' fifth grade graduation uh, yeah. during COVID, and uh, one of you know the people who I guess follow me is like, "Oh my God, you know Dave Meltzer's here. Uh, which one's your grandson?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's let's move up to uh, someone that uh, has a little bit more experience in his life. Uh, yeah. One who's aligned, Dr. Randall Bell. 
he's an author like you and I, an extraordinary author, socioeconomic uh, economist, and of course, at Landmark Research, both of you and I are very familiar with Landmark, but he has uh, a new book, Post Traumatic Thriving, which sounds very poignant today, The Art, Science, and Stories of Resilience. It was just released this January in 2021 during the pandemic. Uh, and what I loved, uh, Doctor, is the blend. You know, I keep trying to teach everybody about the blend of patience and persistence, the blend of the pragmatic and the spiritual, you know, the blend of currencies, money and faith. Uh, you know, we have to live in two worlds. And the one is driven, which Blaine and I are going to have a little bit of a mastermind on time, space, you know, and gravity in, in gravity. Right. Uh, you know, and the law of gravity is extremely important for me. But more importantly, we are given 24 hours of activity a day pragmatically. But there's a whole bunch of things that we need to blend in to the 24 hours of activity that we're all given the man-made construct of time. Uh, so as you utilize these stories to interweave science into this blend, you know, what are some of the greatest lessons when it comes to trauma and the blend of science within the context of a perspective-based experience? Well, good morning, gentlemen, and thanks for asking. You know, it's such a complex question because by college age, 66 to 85% of, of humanity will have experienced a trauma. The problem is that we don't, we're not taught about trauma recovery in school. And oftentimes the topic is unpleasant, so we're not taught by anyone, and we're kind of left to deal with this stuff. In my opinion, the number one problem on planet Earth, and certainly in businesses and, and in terms of productivity, is unresolved trauma. It, it manifests itself as addictions, workaholism, drugs, you know, all the all the stuff. And and so we really need this training because the science is so good now that as you as you said in, in David in your question, there's a blend and it's like a recipe. You don't just put sugar in, you just don't put flour in. You put all the ingredients in, you mix it up and you get a really great result. And, and that result can be so powerful that people can resolve from their traumas, uh, particularly childhood traumas, and, and heal and really, you know, increase their productivity in life. So it's really an important discussion that we're having. You know, I'm, I'm, when I was um, you know, preparing for the interview today, I, I was struck by the title of the book, the opening piece of it here, Post-Traumatic Thriving. And it's almost oxymoronic uh, when you think about it, because when you think of post-trauma, what comes to mind is surviving. How do I survive trauma? And there is a physiological difference, and this is where the science comes in, between a focus on thriving and a focus on surviving. And, you know, Dr. Bell, it'd be real interesting for the folks listening if you could actually you know, delineate what are, the, what are some of the consequences of and some of the benefits of focusing on thriving rather than you know, solely surviving my trauma? Yeah, profound question. There's really three stages in the books in, in, in three parts. The first is dive, the second is survive, and the third is thrive. And to get to the thrive stage, you don't, you don't just jump to the top of the ladder. you got to climb through all the 15 processes. The first five stages we're familiar with, there's the shock, there's the anger, there's the bargaining. There, we, you normally land on depression. Yeah. yeah. My, my approach is that's all healthy. You know, you got to spend time there. And, and kind of process it. We just don't want to get stuck there. Then you move into survival. And and my hat's off to people that just get back to where they were and get back on their feet. That's that's an accomplishment. And and uh, but my focus, having worked on, uh, I worked on the World Trade Center behind your shoulder, Dave. Uh, I I I've worked on uh, Hurricane Katrina, the Bikini Atoll. I worked on OJ and John Benet Ramsey and Sandy Hook. I, I've worked on disasters since 1986. And in studying the people behind the uh, studying the people behind the statistics, what I found is that the the people that really thrived had certain habits. David, I'm familiar with your work from uh, World's Greatest Motivators. In fact, I just talked to our friend, our mutual friend uh, Lynn um, and, Kitchen and Julie Hamilton Jones yesterday, and, and they say hello by the way. Um, but you know, you, you've got to you've got to have a morning routine. That's a common denominator. Uh, Leo Fender lived two streets away from me. I grew up in Fullerton, California. Um, he had an eye out. He was deaf. And today it's a billion dollar industry. And so I studied his life. I wrote a book with Mrs. Leo Fender about his life because he was so quiet. He didn't talk to anybody and, and really studied his daily habits that take him from 
you know, a disability, a serious disability to building, you know, an enormous empire. And, and then these principles are so powerful. Jerry Jewell, I went to high school with, she was, uh, she started on um, Facts of Life, ABC's uh, show, and she just did an HBO movie, uh, Deadwood. And I just uh, spoke with her yesterday too, coincidentally. And um, she's a thriver. She's inspired millions with these principles. So I've had unique access to really phenomenal people who have overcome unsurmountable challenges. And the point is, this stuff really works. And and I think we're on the same page from what what uh, material you delivered, David. I, I think that there's a lot of commonality and, and we're talking the same language. Mm-hmm. Oh, no oh, doubt. Yeah. And I know Blaine as well, uh, being in that so uh, having his own episode and being one of my mentors is aligned as well. Blaine, you're going to say something? Sorry. Yeah, just, just in terms of the traits, uh, Dr. Bell, uh, I mean, can you talk and what would be what would be the top three traits that would be common to all thrivers? Yeah, Blaine, that's, that's terrific. I, I learned this in, of all places in San Quentin prison. I volunteer up at San Quentin and also in the Orange County jail system. I live in Orange County. And, uh, and I, I want to give credit where it's due. And I, I learned these, these uh, concepts from, from these inmates who have really turned their lives around in a very genuine way. I just attended the graduation of one who graduated with honors. And I, I did not graduate with honors uh, from college. But the number one, number one is uh, ground. We call it grounding. And you can call it meditation. You can call it yoga. I don't care what you call it. But there's that morning ritual. Um, that is very common, very simple. So people dismiss it but it really works. Uh, that's number one. Leo Fender did, everybody did it in the book. It has some kind of morning ritual. And the second one I call, or they call, uh, I'm repeating them, is is sitting in the fire. You know, when you go through the meat grinder of life and you, you really get it handed to you, you can't bottle it up inside. It starts an internal war. That's the number one mistake people make. My own trauma is I had heart surgery uh, when I was 11 years old. That was traumatic as a kid, um, you know, missing a whole summer of the beach in, in Southern California because I, I had to be in the hospital. Um, and I never talked about it. I was embarrassed about it. It was ugly. It was a conversation I hated to have. And I was making the classic mistake. You've got to sit in the fire find a trusted person, maybe not in the public, but but somebody, a therapist, a trusted friend, you gotta let it out, you gotta talk about it. Those, those are the dynamic duo. There's about six more in the book, but that's the basic groundwork, that's the foundation. And Dr. Bell, you talked about therapy. You know, I've seen you on today's show, Good Morning America. I love your nickname, the master of disaster. <laughs> uh, authentic in recovery and resilience. and. Until recently, I never, I've always been someone who's been the therapist, right? As Blaine knows, uh, half of what I do as, you know, a, a leading business advisor to some of the biggest CEOs in the world is I'm a therapist. Uh, but I never realized one of the shocking things that you said, though, is that by the time someone's in college, 66 or so percentage of, of us have these traumas. I would have thought after going to therapy myself, uh, having a, a major trauma when I was nine through 14, being abused, mm-hmm. but too afraid to tell anyone because I didn't want to, for a variety of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. But the healing of, you know, it built a resilience in me, uh, but it also needed to be healed. It manifested its way into so many things as a 53-year-old uh, that I never realized. Um, but I would just assume, and maybe I'm wrong, that almost 100% of the people by the time they get to the age 18 have suffered at least one trauma that will cause damage the rest of their life, you know, whatever it is. Do you think that's an overestimation uh, or, you know, where, where do you fall into this is part of life to receive trauma, you know, whatever it may be, or, or I should say even perceived trauma, uh, that almost everyone, if not everyone, would by the time they were 18 have a significant traumatic experience that needs to be healed. Well, David, I started writing this book, Post Traumatic Thriving, 10 years ago. You know, trauma was, or uh, COVID was not even a thing. You know, I think the statistics honestly got to be updated because I think COVID's been uh, traumatic. It certainly was traumatic for me and a lot of people, economically, financially, emotionally go down the spectrum of things. And so, yes, by 18, it's at least 66%. I think with COVID now in the picture, we're, we're pushing the needle way up there. This is a skill set we need. 
and and honestly, as as a CEO, as CEOs, with as both of, both of you are and running businesses, and I do the same thing, we got to bring this discussion into the business place because it's a matter of productivity, you know. And and these are you know because these are ugly situations. A lot of you know a lot of people in charge don't want to talk about it, don't bring it to work. Well, th that's one approach. But I'm starting to do things in my business where we're taking meals to the homeless. We're talking about things a little more openly, not, of course, respecting anybody's privacy, but we're, we're really implementing some appropriate things into our businesses and the productivity is going up, up, up. So it's, it's at, at the, the, the negative side, this is the pro biggest problem on planet Earth. The, the solution is that the science is so good we can solve it. And even in the business place, it makes nothing but sense. Yeah, I met, I met with uh, Jen Fisher yesterday, and she's the chief well-being officer at Deloitte, and she's been in that position since 2015. Yeah, so it, you know, it's not you know wellness maybe you know a, a new uh, trend, uh, but some of the biggest and best companies and advisors and consulting firms in the world have realized the best way to affect the bottom line is well-being, uh, and that's why your book is so important. That's why you're a social economist in this space uh what other people would think well he's not a therapist uh and the book does you know especially with landmark as you know uh it does affect the bottom line because as blaine has taught me engagement and productivity are so closely tied and if we're not well it's tough to be engaged if we're not well it's tough to be productive yeah very yeah. well said yeah yeah, and not to be cliche here, but energy does follow attention, and energy is a, a placeholder for productivity. I mean, you know, where I put my energy is where I'm most productive. Uh, the conversation, and, and I'm just really intrigued with this, uh, Dr. Bell, um, the conversation in the workplace. Most people spend you know, 80% of their lives, ultimately, in their workplace environments. And, uh, and this is one of the reasons that David and I wrote uh, Compassionate Capitalism. In my experience, when I started writing that book, when I first outlined it, it was most organizations are toxic to the human spirit. And in many cases, that's the trauma is uh, the workplace uh, that people find themselves living in because it's, yeah, it's antithetical to the human spirit thriving. What have you found to be some of the... Uh, more useful ways of bringing that conversation to life in an organization so that it doesn't become a distraction. It actually becomes a mechanism by which we end up being more productive. Um, and you, can, you, know, you know, kind of go back to sitting in the fire sort of, sort of a thing. You, you can't ignore it. Uh, it's it's got to be brought out so something can be done about it. Exactly. Very well said. I, I can just tell you what works in my boardroom is I, I I tackle it directly. I talk about it directly. I don't I don't, you know, uh, tiptoe around the issues. And we're, we're in the business of logic and, and opinions and critical thinking. And we got to have clear heads and we, you know, if people are distracted or or weighed down with issues going on at home or something, it's going to it's going to, uh, you know, affect our product, you know, and it's the same thing with any business. So I hired trainers. I'm not a therapist. I'm not the right. Per I, I wrote the book not to generate business for myself because I'm not the right person to talk to. I, I wrote the book because I had this unique access, having worked on all these disasters on seven continents, 50 states that and, and sitting down on, on a on a coconut tree log. Or, or sitting down at the kitchen table of Nicole Brown Simpson's family. I've had this spectrum of experiences, which has given me unique access and I just wanted to share it, but I'm not the right therapist. But what I do in my business is I invite in experts on a regular basis for training. And we, we just talk about the issues. We talk about um, the things that aren't generally talked about in a boardroom. We talk about trauma. We're we talk about the brain chemistry. We talk about what happens when something traumatic happens in terms of our physiology to understand that these emotions, these chemicals and neurotransmitters running through our, our blood systems are totally natural. It's totally okay. And we go talk about the process. And to the extent people want to share or don't share, they, they can. But we, we invite in the experts um, to talk and train us uh, because it's just so critical to our productivity. You know, that's, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, excuse me, just real quick here. I want to just drop something in here. Yeah, in terms because basically you, you're talking about having a relationship with trauma that's a healthy relationship with trauma. And one of the things that I'm very intrigued with here is the nature of conversation in that dialogue. 
yeah, yeah, the conversation is the relationship. And in businesses, most, you know, 99.9% of the conversations all revolve around the state and the status of the business, not the state and status of the livingness of the business. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, where you're going with what you're talking about in the book is we need to have conversations about the livingness of the trauma because it does live. And we need to move that livingness to a healthy place. Right. And that livingness affects the bottom line. So it's all interconnected. It's it's, it's all there. What, what, were you, what were you going to say, David? David? Oh, I was just going to finish up and uh, thank you, because I think it's taking it a step farther that you actually, especially in your book, talk about utilizing the trauma to fuel mm-hmm. the actual ability to thrive. And so we can yeah. transcend, you know, trauma itself to fuel us uh, and not to create interference or avoid a shortage or resistance uh, to thriving, being able to allow life to come through us with appreciation for others, uh, as my definition of thriving. Uh, but there are stages to that. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for the book. I think it's well overdue, especially poignant today in the pandemic. Uh, people can find that book all over. It's been out since January. So check out Post Traumatic Thriving, The Art, Science and Stories of Resilience by Dr. Randall Bell. Yeah. We certainly appreciate you. We want to do more with you. Uh, there's probably two hours of conversations that we could have, but that's the secret of the show is always keep it. So people want to hear more. So thanks for adhering to our platform. Absolutely. Thanks Blaine. And thanks David. I'll, I'll just say next time we'll talk about tapping in the energy because the trauma creates so much energy. You tap into it, you blast off and do remarkable things. Thanks. Platform. Ah, thank you. Next Love time I'll, leave, I'll close my bathroom door next time. Uh, <laughs> I love the internet. I love the internet. I love Zoom. I'm like, you, you, you mentioned the Twin Towers, and I'm like, oh, is that my toilet behind me? Oh, you know, <laughs> so, I, got, I got the best producers in the world. They're, they're yeah. catching all these things for me. Often. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Talk about Thanks trauma. Talk about uh, trauma. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad I'm the only one in here. The bathroom door is open. Uh, and it's it's the morning. And I'm like, uh, dude, this is the livingness of the business. It just it, it just kind of lives. It's it, it's it's one of my favorite things about what the pandemic has done is allowed us to be human. You know, yeah. dogs and kids and barking and Internet going out. You and I had lived through the formal years of suits, ties and, oh. you know, everything, the proper properness of the hypocrisy of everybody going there till five o'clock and then all of a sudden letting loose and we got to get to know people. Now we don't have to go out after work to get to know people because you get to see the families, the dogs and the toilets uh, all all during the day. So (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Amazing. Anyway. Oh boy. Great guests as always take, take away for the day for you. Yeah. I'm, uh, I love the, the the lineup of the guests today because they each had conversations about some different things. And I'm going to you know, plug something, the notion that I just you know, mentioned here. The conversation is the relationship. Yeah, that whole idea. You know, Dan's conversation with travel. You know, Dan's conversation with the relationship he had with, you know, just kind of, yeah, I, I, I don't want to check a bag. The conversation becomes the relationship that develops a business. Um, with uh, Vedant, I mean, his whole thing is conversation. And you had a great question with yeah, him about, yeah, how do you get these guests to say yes? You know, that's in the conversation. The conversation is the relationship. And there's, there, there needs to be reality. There needs to be authenticity and, gen- and genuineness in that. And then, you know, Dr. Bell, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of I need to have a conversation about my trauma. I, I, it, it, it can't be submerged. When I bring it into the light of day, yeah, something else has now an opportunity to shift. So the, you know, we don't just have relationships with things. We, yeah, it's, it's steeped in the conversations that we have with and about them. So the conversation becomes the relationship. So that's, that's my takeaway for today. That's awesome. Uh, obviously, collaboration and conversation is so critical to what you teach in the Mindset Mastermind as well. And for me, um, it was expertise. You know, I, I always say expertise is overrated um, and reputation of expertise is even worse. But if you look at the three generations of Adant to Dan, Dan to Dr. Bell, no matter what age they are, the way they 
ascertain their expertise, their skills, their knowledge and desire was to connect the dots backwards. Uh, yeah. Right. They, because, yeah. you know, Dan knew as much about in his middle age, Dan knew as much about the clothing industry as Vedant knew about interviewing superstars, uh, which is about as much as the, uh, Dr. Bell knew about post-traumatic uh, stress. Yes. Um, right. He's a, he's an, a, an economist. Uh, <coughs> and so, you know, I love that he said, I'm not a therapist. So to that as well, you know, expertise can be experienced. It doesn't have to be known. Uh, and then I think just as a little add in, I want to add one of my favorite takeaways because we threw a lot around a lot of statistics today. And I, I questioned one of them of Dan, of, of Dr. Bell, but yeah. my, my favorite statistic is a takeaway for everyone. 99% of all statistics are made up. Uh, yes, so <laughs> please, as we're throwing around statistics, 80%, 66%, 99, 99% of all statistics are made up. One of the only statistics, 100% of your short putts will not go in and golf, and 100% of the things you do now get done. Uh, those are some of my favorite statistics. And Blaine, and, well, another one, one of mine is you know, 100% of the time, the shortest line moves the slowest. <laughs> There you go. That's the genius of experience right there. You even got a chuckle out of our great producer, Matt Mendoza. Well, from my toilet to yours, Blaine, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Say hi to Cynthia. Send my love to everybody. Check out learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash LMM, the mindset mastermind, moving possibilities to profit. He certainly has done that for me in my life. And that's why he's here with me as I am always grateful uh, for having you in my life and your family as well. So appreciate you, my friend. You bet, buddy. And looking forward to a conversation about time, space, and gravity. And gravity. Thank you for waking up early here you bet. on Office Hours, my friend. Good. All right, everyone. We're rocking and rolling. It's Thankful Thursdays. Catch me on IG. Catch me. Training tomorrow is about uh, teaching, coaching, and mentorship. How to teach, how to coach, how to mentor, how to find a teacher, a coach, and a mentor, and how important it is to have a teacher, a coach, and a mentor, and what's the difference between the three. You can always join me for free. Get my books for free, ebook, audiobook. I'll sign a book, send it to you, pay for shipping, and the book, not a problem, david at dmeltzer.com. And remember, most importantly, everyone, be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. Have a great day.